Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. We've been looking through the highly imaginative, word-brushed kind of paintings of God's life-giving, life-creating, life-transforming power in the stories of Genesis 1 through 3, as we look particularly at Psalm 119, because as we see in Psalm 119 and in Genesis first three chapters, that God's spirit, God's creative, life-giving spirit is inseparably linked to God's word. And Genesis 3 is a powerful picture of the resulting dysfunctions in our life, in every human heart, after the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, chose to transgress God's one commandment. So God had all these trees. He grew, caused to grow all these trees out of the ground that were, as it says, pleasing to the eye and good for food. God's wanting to give us physical delight and beauty and all this abundance in the Garden of Eden. And that we were to spread that throughout the earth, that abundance and that beauty and that physical delight. But there was one tree, one commandment that God said, don't eat from that. And as we saw in the story of Genesis 3, the man and the woman were deceived, but they were deceived because their own heart wanted to be like God. And they were deceived in thinking that somehow God's one commandment was well, that was where abundance would be found. And all the abundance that God allowed in his will, that's that was scarcity. And it was, of course, inverted completely. And Genesis 3 then poetically paints the human story of how, now driven by our insecurities and our distrust of God, insecurities toward God, toward one another, we hide from God behind all the trees, so to speak, and we cover ourselves and our shame with all the fig leaves, so to speak, covering ourselves from one another while we're seeking also to manipulate others by our selfish desires. And that was what God said to the man and the woman after they sinned. But Genesis 3.15, when God speaks to the serpent, also foreshadows that God will ultimately destroy the serpent and ultimately destroy all of our resulting dysfunctions through the death and resurrection and victory of this male human offspring of the woman to come. And we're in the middle of that story right now between Jesus's coming and his death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven. While we're waiting, we await his kingdom coming to bring a new resurrected body and soul to his people and to renew and restore all creation, bringing heaven back to earth. This is the bigger story of the Bible. And in the middle of this already not yet reality, God is progressively renewing and transforming his people through his spirit. That's what the scriptures teach in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we who contemplate, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as the Spirit of God works in our lives. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
And then he goes on to say just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God made shine in our hearts, that the God who said, let light shine in darkness, made his light shine in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, he's very much using that picture of that poetic imagery in Genesis 1, 2 through 3, as the Spirit of God is hovering over the darkness and the lifelessness. And God says, let there be light and there is light. And that's a picture of what God's Spirit must do in the heart of every follower of Christ. And there are several Old Testament prophecies that tell of this heart transformation that will come in the new covenant that Christ brings when he comes. And like almost all Old Testament prophecies, these promises are already, but not yet. Just as Christ's coming is already, but not yet. Partially, Christ has come. He has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he's coming again to bring his kingdom at the end of this age. So it's partially now true also in the hearts of all followers of Christ through his Holy Spirit, but not fully, not a full transformation of the heart until Christ brings bodily resurrection when he brings his kingdom of heaven back to earth. But there are these Old Testament promises, these new covenant promises. For example, in Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, this is the covenant. This is the oath unto death, so to speak. This is the solemn oath, the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now, remember, we are the people of Israel. We are the descendants of Abraham, Paul says in Galatians 3 and Romans 4. And so he says, I will put my law, my will, my word, my instruction, my commandments the same kind of use of the law in Psalm 119 that we've been looking at. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's always the promise of the ultimate covenant in Christ. God will be our God and we will be his people. The forever God will be our God forever. That's always the ultimate goal of everything God is doing in the story of Christ. And part of that, he says, is that he will put his will, his commandments, his word, his promises, his everything that God's word is in the minds of his people. That's what resurrection will be. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 11, 19, God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. The forever God is our God forever because of Jesus. That's the idea. That's the covenant here. Again, the idea of laws here is the same way that law is being used in Psalm 119. It's God's will. It's God's instruction. It's God's life-giving word. And then in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Again, the same same synonyms we're seeing in Psalm 119 for God's word. 
Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. Remember that Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that God's promises of the land to Abraham were ultimately the promises of the whole world, this renewed creation in Christ. And then it finishes up, God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Again, this is the new covenant that because of Jesus, the forever God is my God forever. So now we come to Psalm 119 again. And one of the important themes throughout this psalm is our need for God to open our eyes, enlarge our heart, and give us understanding all by the Spirit's life-transforming power in His Word. That's the whole, every verse is about God's Word and the need for God's Word to bring the Spirit's transforming power in our lives. And unless and until God does that, God's Word, whether it's the Gospel or just the Bible in general, God's Word will always seem boring and irrelevant to what matters to us most. Unless the Spirit enlarges our heart, opens our eyes, gives us understanding, or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, unless he makes shine in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, removes the, the veil that the God of this age is blinding the hearts of unbelievers, blinding the hearts and minds of unbelievers with. That's what he's talking about in the context of the end of 2 Corinthians 3, beginning of 2 Corinthians 4. That's what has to happen in our heart. The Spirit has to do something to change our heart, open our heart, enlarge our heart, open our eyes, so that we see the glory of God in the gospel. We see the significance and the light of the glory of God in his word. Otherwise, this is going to be boring, and, and, and we're just not going to be interested. And we're interested in other things more, unless God does something. But what's the chicken and the egg here? Does God respond to our prayer for his spirit's transformation of our heart? Or do we care enough to pray for God to transform our heart as a result of God's spirit working his work of transformation in us? And the answer is yes. In other words, we respond to God as his spirit works in our heart. But as his spirit works in our heart, we must respond to God and ask him to continue to open our eyes and our heart to him. And this is where the prayers and meditations of Psalm 119 are helpful to us. For example, verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So I will desire your commandments. I will run toward your will. I'll run toward what you life-givingly give me in your instructions and your commandments. All for the purpose of your protection and your provision in my life, your abundance in my life is in your commandments. Your abundance in my life is in your will. And instead of running from your commandments, I will run toward your commandments. When you enlarge my heart, when you all of a sudden, it's almost like the Grinch that stole Christmas, that God's spirit enlarges our heart so that we see the same thing in an entirely different way. We see what was otherwise boring to us, God's word, the Bible, all of a sudden in a whole, whole different way that we want his commandments because we see in his commandments abundance of every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. We see in his commandments this light 
bringing life into the darkness. We see in his commandments the breath of God filling our nostrils with life. And as he enlarges our heart, that's more and more how we see his word. But it's also kind of a chicken and the egg thing that as we come to his word and we allow the spirit of God to enlarge our heart as he uses the word of God in our heart. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Again, law is a synonym here of God's word. Remember, these are eight stanzas under each Hebrew letter, and each eight of the eight stanzas has a, a synonym for God's word, just for variety and poetic reasons. So we would maybe say it this way, give me understanding that I may keep your word and observe it with my whole heart. I would observe your commandments and believe your promises and live in the truth of your life-giving word with my whole heart as a result of you giving me understanding. In other words, revealing the truth to me, that I would see the world the way it really is, that I would see you the way you really are, that I would see your truth the way it truly is, life-giving, light-bringing, breath-giving, freedom-giving, the abundance of every tree that is good for food and pleasing to the eye. When you give me the understanding of reality, I will keep your word and observe it with my whole heart. But God has to be the one who gives me understanding. God is the one who has to enlarge my heart. And I'm praying for him to do so. I'm asking him to do that. So verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Again, that's a synonym for your word. Incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. Remember, the fallen condition, this dysfunctional heart, is always trying to manipulate others for our own selfish gain. And this verse directly confronts that. Incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain, that I would not try to manipulate others, that I would not see my life as trying to deal with my fears and insecurities and my shame by selfishly gaining things at the expense of my relationships with others and at the expense of my relationship with God, but instead that I would wake up to reality and see that that's always the path to a shrunken life of scarcity. And the abundance is in the will of God, the word of God keeping his testimonies, and so that God would incline my heart to his word. I need God to do that so that I can see selfish gain as the stupidity that it is. I'm clutching a key that's to a dungeon, and I think it's to a door to a whole new world, but it's just a key to a dungeon, and the door to the whole new world is in God's word and God's commandments. And so incline my heart to your word, and not to selfish gain. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word, out of your law is what it says, a synonym for your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things, the wonder of God's word, this enchanted world, this world that God is wanting to bring abundance through Christ and his kingdom, through resurrection and restoration, to transcendent beauty and glory. And even now, Paul says, the Spirit of God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another by his Holy Spirit as we contemplate the Lord's glory, as he opens our eyes that we would behold wondrous things out of his word, out of his gospel, in his promises of what it means that the forever God is my God forever. 
Verse 73, your hands have made and fashioned me. Now we're going back to Genesis 2-7, that God created the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Again, commandments here is a synonym for God's word, but it is also true that God's word has his commandments, his life-giving, life-bringing, protective commandments to us. So your hands have made and fashioned me. You know me. You know what makes me happy. You know how you have created me and what will fulfill me and what will satisfy me. You know the trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food because you made me for them. Your hands have made and fashioned me. So give me understanding that I may learn your commandments, that I may learn to live within your will, that I would value your commandments as the life-giving commandments that they are rather than I think I'm being fooled by the inversion of scarcity and abundance and I think they're life-constricting commandments, but they're life-giving commandments in the kingdom of God where the forever God is my God forever. So verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's God's word stored up in my heart. This is the whole point of what we're doing in this podcast. We're storing up God's word in our heart so that we don't get fooled by the prosperity inversion, the blessing inversion, the the abundance, scarcity inversion of the serpent, but that we see God's commandments as life. And so when I store up God's word in my heart, I don't sin against him because sin is stupidity. Sin is believing a lie. Sin is believing the abundance, scarcity inversion. And I'm going away from God's commandments toward transgression because I think that's where abundance is and that scarcity comes from God's commandments. But when I store up God's word in my heart, when my heart is focused on the glory and the beauty and the wonder of God's will and God's word, then sin becomes less attractive to me. I don't get fooled by sin in my heart because my heart is seeing reality more and more. The enchanted reality of the kingdom of God when Christ comes to bring resurrection and restoration. Verse 104, through your precepts, as a synonym for your word, through your word, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Sin is a false way. It's a lie. And when I can see transgression as the false way, it's not going to make me happy. It's not going to satisfy the heart because God has, is the one who made me and fashioned me. And he knows what is truly every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food to me. That's where his commandments lead me. And so I'm not going to chase a false way. I'm going to reject the false way. Because God's precepts, God's word has given me understanding. Verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Now, sometimes iniquity gets dominion over us and we don't even know it. It just becomes a pattern of thought and a pattern of belief and a pattern of desire. And what we're saying here is, is that God, your promises are what free me from the dominion of iniquity. So keep steady my steps according to your promise. More and more open my heart, incline my heart, enlarge my heart, open my eyes, 
Give me understanding of your word, of your promise, so that no iniquity gets dominion over me, that I would be in bondage to its darkness, in bondage to its chaos, in bondage to its lie of inverting the abundance scarcity equation. But it's the power of God's word that does that, because that's what the Spirit of God uses in our life, because the Spirit is the author of God's word. Verse 133, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Again, that's a synonym for your word. Make your face shine upon me and teach me your word because it's by your word. It's by teaching me your your word that makes your face shine upon me. Your word is the word of your Holy Spirit. It's your Holy Spirit that hovers over my darkness and says, let there be light and there is light and your face shines upon me as I bring your word into my life. Make your face shine upon me and teach me your word. Verse 161. Now listen to this. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. When I think of princes in our day, it's the elite. It's whatever the inner circle is. It's whatever is the cultural prince of our day and princesses and princes that do persecute us without cause. They can make us intimidated to follow the commandments of God. And yet he says here, my heart stands in awe of your words. It's the promise of God. It's the word of God. It's the truth of God's word that we stand in awe of because the forever God can be our God forever. When our heart is inclined toward God's word, when God opens our eyes to God's word, when God gives us understanding of God's word, when my heart stands in awe of God's word, I'm able to resist the intimidation of all the cultural princes and princesses that intimidate me to want to compromise God's word, compromise God's commandments, compromise the gospel, compromise God's truth in some way. This needs to be our prayer. Oh God, make shine in my heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Transform my life from one degree of glory to the next as your spirit works in my life to help me contemplate your glory. Create in me a clean heart, a new heart. You have put your spirit in me and I pray that your spirit would enlarge my heart Open my eyes. Give me understanding of all that it means that the forever God is my God forever. Enlarge my heart that I would run in the way of your commandments, that I would run toward your commandments because they are your life-giving commandments, your commandments that protect me and give me life and provide for me your abundance in your kingdom so that the forever God will be my God forever. Enlarge my heart toward your commandments. Give me understanding that I would see reality in the universe you have made. The universe I exist is in your universe and you have made me. Give me understanding that I may keep your word and observe it with my whole heart more and more. That you would transform me from one degree of glory to the next by transforming my heart, giving me understanding that I would see your word as something desirable to keep and trust and believe. Incline my heart to your word rather than to stupid selfish gain that is not gain, it's loss. I think it's gain. I've been fooled into thinking it's gain. 
but it's selfish loss. But the true treasure comes from inclining my heart toward your word. I pray that you would incline my heart to your promises, to your commandments, to your testimonies, the story of all that you are for me in Christ. The bigger story that's the context of every moment in my life. Open my eyes that I would behold wondrous things out of your word. The wonder of your bigger story. The wonder of all that you have done for me and are for me in Jesus and promise me in Jesus. And I want to live for that story. I want to run toward that story. Open my eyes to that story. Incline my heart to that story. Give me understanding to that story. Enlarge my heart to treasure that story. Make me understand the way of your word, and I will meditate on all your wondrous works, it says in verse 27. I meditate on all your wondrous works of what you have done for me, becoming human in the person of Jesus, doing the miracles to show me what restoration will look like in the kingdom of God, dying on the cross to take the death upon you and to break through the other side of death, rising from the dead so that the forever God can be my God forever. And I will have a resurrection in your resurrected kingdom on earth when you bring heaven back to earth. I will meditate on your wondrous works. Give me understanding of your word so that I can see that story as my story. Incline my heart to your word forever. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments, your life-giving commandments. Give me understanding of your wisdom. Give me understanding of your will because you have made me and you have fashioned me and I exist for you and only you can satisfy me. Only your will is the will of every tree that is beautiful to the eye and pleasing to the eye, and good for food. Let me not wander away from your commandments, from your word, but with my whole heart, help me to seek you. Transform me from one degree of glory to the next, as you make shine in my darkened heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Open the eyes of my heart that I would know the hope to which you have called me in Christ and the riches of your glorious inheritance you have for me in Christ and your incomparably great power to transform my life in your bigger story in Christ. Through your word, give me understanding that I would reject every false way, every lie, every false promise that never delivers. It's just a key to a dungeon. But your word is the key to a big blue sky world of wonder and glory and beauty and love. Everything that it means that the forever God is my God forever. Let no iniquity gain dominion over me, but keep my steps steady according to your promise. All that you promise me in Jesus, the light of your word by your Holy Spirit shining in my heart and making your promises far more attractive to me than being given over to the dominion of iniquity. Make your face shine upon me and teach me your word, the glory of your word. I stand in awe of your word, and therefore I refuse to be intimidated by any other voice, every other false promise. 
Though princes persecute me without cause, my heart stands in awe of your word. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.